Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Psalm 27. We'll read the entire psalm. And I do want you to take note of the connective tissue to what we'll be preaching on today in Romans chapter 8. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Amen. Praise God that he is our light and our salvation. The Lord is my light and salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord, In the land of the living, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen and praise God. Now over to Romans chapter 8. And we'll be reading verses 31 through 39. And you know that this chapter... Because of what we've been through, just a very quick update, what we've been through in our life as sinners, knowing how sinful we are, how helpless we are, how much we deserve the wrath of God, and yet to be shown that grace of God, that righteous, the, the righteousness of God, just that just undoes us in so many ways. We're just filled with awe and reverence and Lord how could you do this to, for a sinner like me? And yet we rejoice in that grace and mercy that we have found in him. And then our life begins as Christians and then we struggle, don't we? We go back and forth with sin, daily battle with sin, the temptations of the world, the flesh, the devil, all all among us. And there's times as Christians, doubt can creep in. Am I really saved? Does he really love me? Am I really for, what's, Lord, Paul understands this. So we see all of that. That's kind of leading up to where we are in Romans. That's just kind of a 30,000-foot flyover, but that's really where we find ourselves. We're sinners. We're saved by grace. We're justified by him, and, and, and we live newness of life form. Sin no longer reigns over us, and yet we struggle with sin. Doubt creeps in oftentimes, and Paul takes time in large part to reassure us 
that our salvation is sure because he keeps us. And so in chapter 8, assurance after assurance after assurance he gives us. And now it reaches a crescendo as he comes towards the end of the chapter. So we read verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? And he's reaching back, really back to the beginning of this chapter, maybe even before that. If God is for us, then who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him gracious, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who intercede, who is interceding for us, who shall separate us, from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword as it is written. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We should just be rejoicing this morning and be so thankful that he has saved us and he keeps us because if it is up to us, we're going to leave him. We're going we're to be tempted and he... Our, our desires carry us away. So we praise God that he loves us and that he keeps us and that he sustains us and that he will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. Praise God. And so as we come here towards the end of this chapter, we'll just be considering a, a couple verses this morning or a few verses this morning and just check out the, 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 the assurance just reaches a crescendo, almost like a fever pitch with Paul. And he's so bold. He's so confident, so certain that God saves us and keeps us. It should strengthen you. It should en- just, just enrich your faith in your soul to know that our God loves us and that he will never leave us. And so this whole uh, section that we read this morning flows out like an exclamation point from what he's been saying up to this point. So really, he's been going back to the beginning of this chapter. And he gives confident assertions about our salvation. But notice, we're going to look at three of them this morning. They're all grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, this is why we're saved. This is why we're kept. This is why we know we belong to him. So, I don't know. Just look at verse 31. It generates so much, it just, just generates so much confidence in the Lord, in you, because of Him, right? Because of His love for us. He says, what are we going to say then? Because all, everything I've said before this is true. If God is for us, who could be against us? Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you see, he makes a proclamation. He makes a declaration, a confident assertion, and he grounds that in the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who saves us. He's our hero. He's the one who comes alongside when we're weak, when we're failing. He is the strong one who saves us, who keeps us, who loves us, who protects us. Amen? Praise God. When I was growing up, I think every neighborhood has a bully, right? You know, has that, a kid that goes, goes around and 
intimidates the smaller kids and you know tries to frighten them. We had that in our neighborhood, but we also had like the hero kid, the the guy that the bullies wouldn't mess with because he was just better than them, right? He was stronger than them. And I happened to be friend friends with the nice guy, with the the protector, I guess you want to call him that way. One day, and I will never forget this, I was on South Park Road, and I was riding my bike, and what you know it, there's the bully, he comes and stands in front of me. By the way, both of their names were Mike, different last names, not brothers, but the the, the bully guy came, and I was on my new bike, and you know, he was just getting in my way. He delivered newspapers, he had his wagon with him, and he's going like this, and I'm trying to get around him, you know, kind of scared, because I was you know, smaller and spindly in that way. And, and he's like grabbing my bike. Oh, a nice bike. And like, you know, shaking me up. And I was, leave me alone. You know, that, that kind of thing. Scared, timid. And I'm, leave me alone. He said, like, why? What are you going to do? I said, I'm not going to do anything, but he's going to do something. At that moment, the other Mike walked around the corner and he was standing there. And I said, he'll do something. He looked over his shoulder and he said, oh, Go on your way. I'll never forget that incident because I just felt that boldness, that confidence because Mike, the good guy, was for me and he was going to protect and nothing was going to happen in that regard. And so you got by in that way. So that, that that's kind of how this is here. There's that confidence. If he is for us, if he's for you and he is for you, then who could be against you? Who could stand against you in your Christian life? The idea here is this. When he says that he is for us who could be against us, it doesn't mean that we're kept out of difficulties, that hard times won't come, that struggles won't be there, but that he sees us through victoriously as we trust in him, right? That's the confidence that we have in him. We belong to him. We belong to Christ. Therefore, all of his benefits belong to us. Do you know that? That's something that we have. Those divine resources we have, we know from chapter 8, we have His Spirit, we have His love, we have His power, His truth, His promises, His means of grace, the Word, sacrament, prayer. He is for us. And those against us can't undo what He has done in us. They're not powerful enough. They're not strong enough. We're confident in Him. And that's what Paul wants to bring along. And that's what we need to believe and trust and know because it's the truth. If he's for us, who can be against us? And he goes from the greater to the lesser. He says, look, if he didn't spare his own son, he sent his son. He loved his son. He sent his own son. If he has done that, then how will he not give us all things? Right? If he sent his own son, will he not give you everything you need to live faithfully unto him? The answer is, of course he will. Of course he does. Absolutely. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to get you started in your salvation and said, okay, now you're on your own. Just do it on your own. No, 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 no. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look to me. There's strength and power in me. He's not going to abandon us to ourselves. He saves us and he continues to save us. And he will not forsake us. Look, if he is for us, Nothing can stand against us. Who can stand against us? Don't you love that? That's such confidence. Because we stand in the shadow of his wings. We stand behind him. He goes before us and he conquers our enemies. Now, is there anything against us? Do we face opposition as Christians? Of course we do. Yes. And he knows that. That's why he's not saying you're not going to have difficulties. You're not going to have opposition. Just the opposite. When you become a Christian, then you know how hard it is to live for Christ and to live in this world and faithfully. 
right? Because we are faced with pressure every single day. Every moment you are faced with pressure to deny your Lord, to sin against Him, to go your own way. It's just how it is as a Christian. Because now we're transferred from this world, from this kingdom to the kingdom of light. So we're strangers, aliens. This place is in our home. It doesn't mesh with, with the biblical worldview. So we're up against it every single day. He knows this and he says that. If God is for you, who could stand against you? Well, we have those that are standing against us, don't we? Generally speaking, we have the world, the flesh, ourselves, and the devil. So by the world, I mean the world system, right? If you're a Christian, this world, we have a different worldview. We have a biblical worldview now. This shapes our worldview. It teaches us how to think, what we know, how to live, right? Everything is shaped from Scripture. It's not like that out there in the world. They have an opposite standard, their own standard. So that's, there's that clash. That's, that's the world. We have the flesh. We, in other words, we have ourselves. We know we love the Lord. We want to serve Christ. But as we saw in Romans chapter 7, we battle against sin every day. We fight against that temptation to sin. We often, far too often, give in to our sin. And we cross that line. Or we don't do the things that we ought to do. So that's that ongoing battle. That's the flesh. That's inside of us. And then, of course, we have our adversary, the devil. We have Satan who continues to prowl, who is the, the, the prince of the power of the air in that sense. And he never sleeps. And he continues to look for ways to trip us up. So when we talk about the world, that is absolutely against us. He's for us, but the world is against us. The culture is against us. What's the world telling you today? What is the world telling us today? That you decide, you decide, not God, what's right and what's wrong. You decide what is best for you. That's the world. See, that that's when he says it here, who could be against us? It's not as if there's nothing against us. There's so much against us. That's why we stand in Christ. That's why we look to him. Do you understand? Because the world is telling you, the world is assaulting. There's assault on basic institutions that God has placed up. Look at marriage. Look at sexuality. Look at family. We have the, the, the dismantling and redefining of morality all around us. See, that's against us. If you're a Christian and when you see those things going on in the world, say, no, 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 this isn't how it should be. This isn't right. We're not going along with that. We're fighting against it because it is against us. We have pressure to conform, to infirm, to affirm, to embrace. In this world, there's a promise of self-sufficiency. That you just rely on yourself. You make it yourself. You make your own decisions. We have the promise of self-satisfaction. Go for whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Full full and absolute gratification. No rules, no limits. Just live for yourself. That's what the world is telling us, that you can have it all. You can live for yourself. See, that that's contrary to what we believe as Christians, and it comes in as, as a point of contact, doesn't it? And that's that's that basis we struggle with, the world. What about the flesh? We're in a constant state of sensory stimulation, especially in the day that we're living in. Everything, temptations abound in every single area. We are tempted inside ourselves to, to adopt the world's mindset. When we talk about the world, flesh, and the devil, they all, they're distinct categories, but they all overlap with each other in so many different ways. But we have a constant temptation to adopt the world's mindset. Oh, don't you as Christians? Come on, just go along with what everybody else is doing. You see it on TV, you hear it, you see it on social media. Look, look, just just stop fighting it. Do what makes you feel good for once. 
Do what's best for you. Do what you really want to do instead of what, you know, some book said. And we've, that's an internal struggle because those temptations abound in our flesh to disobey the Lord. We, we fight with these things. Society is accepted of it. Just go for it. So why should you stay in an unhappy marriage? You know, just, just, but let it go. Go. Think, think for your, think about yourself right now. And it'll be better for everybody else in that way. See, that, that's a, the flesh telling you to, just, why shouldn't you be intimate with somebody you really care for? Why do you have to be married if you really love each other anyway? And it doesn't matter who you love. Just, just come on. Just say that word that you know is going to provoke the person that you love because you know how to push his buttons. Go ahead. Just do that. Right, that's that's a flash all the time. Just take what doesn't belong to you because you really need it, and they don't need it as much as you do. That's a flash. That's that's against us. You understand? That's what he's saying here. God is for us, but these things are against us. The flesh is against you, and then the devil. The devil is against you. Do you know there's a huge resurgence? In our day, in satanic worship and occult practices, it's everywhere. It's it's really tied into the transgender movement. It's behind so much of what you're seeing, even with those the the transvestite readings. And there, there's the satanic temple is involved in all kinds of mainstream, you know, popular organizations, retail organizations. It's really among us, and they're out out of the closet, as it were. They're air. They're in mainstream. The devil is real, and there are people that worship the devil and and look to him. And you know, if you're a Christian, we're taught in Scripture that he prowls around like a hungry lion, starving, seeking those whom he may devour. He wants to make you ineffective. He'll put those subtle temptations in front of you. See how the world, the flesh, and the devil, they work together in in that way. He is your adversary. He is the tempter. He challenges the authority and the authenticity of God's word all the time. All the time. And again, we see this played out in culture and in other places. He makes sin seem so reasonable, so right, and so rational. And what you're doing is unrational, unreasonable. Why would you even do this? That's Satan. Twisting, turning, subtle, but he's real. That's against us. You see? These things are against us. But Paul tells us God is for you. Amen and praise God. He is for you. And these things cannot undo what he has done in us. He comes along. You know, he's like, he's the ones that the bullies don't want to mess with. You remember the demons? Are you here now to, to torture us at the judgment, time of the judgment? When the world closes in, what are we told as Christians? Because the temptations to go along with it, but we know, we know from the word of God, and the Spirit of God, the power of God, the grace of God in our lives to keep us. As Christians, there's a difference, and you need to be different. You need to view the world differently. Don't get caught up in the world's mindset. We're in the world, we're not of the world. What we bring into the world is the gospel. You bring yourself, and you bring your righteous righteousness in Christ to the world itself. You don't conform to the world, but you stand on God's word in the world. So Romans 12.2 tells us that, doesn't it? Do not be conformed to this world. Don't just go along. Don't just be swept away. So many churches are affirming. So many churches are looking more and more like the world instead of the church. They're being conformed to this world. But see, this is how we stand against. The Lord gives us the power. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Right? 
These things you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love this world. Do you love this world? Do you love this world too much? As Christians, we can't love this world too much. You know, again, we're strangers and aliens. I mean, we're part of it. We're not totally separate like some separatists. We're in it, but we're always being salt and light. But this is how we stand against it. This is, if he is for us, this is what this looks like. If anyone loves the world, the love of Christ, the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires, I can't see that. The eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever is in the Lord, he, he, the will of God will abides forever in him. Don't place your hopes in this world. That's fighting against. That's if, if he is for us, who could be against us? But we need to believe this. We need to stand on this. John 16.33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he has overcome the world? We are going to have trouble. We are going to have tribulation in this world because it again, it's against us. But in him... We have peace. This assures us of our salvation, and it strengthens us to live for the Lord. This means he is for you. You're not alone. We're not on our own. We're not fighting this battle in our own strength. He keeps us. How about for the flesh? He is in this. He is for us. If he's, a, he's for us, who could be against us? This is how. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptations overtaking you except that which is common to man. And God who is faithful will... <laughs> Not be tempted beyond your not you be tempted beyond your ability, but the, with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may endure it. I have that memorized in the New American Standard, so it's a little different what a reading from the ESV. Um, but this means that there's no unique temptation. People, and that's another thing that we get caught up in. Well, you don't know what it's like. This you you can't understand this kind of temptation. This is overwhelming. This is listen. There's no temptation. It's not common, common to man that, 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 that is not common to us. There's nothing new under the sun, in other words. Right? There's no unique temptation that's never been out there that, that can't be resisted. But this promises to provide a way of escape. So with that temptation, they're going to come, but here's a way of escape. Right? Are you willing to take that way of escape? That's the question. You know that. Every time that you're working towards a sin or leading towards sin, there's always that time, there's always that moment, if you really think about it, when there is a way of escape, when there is a way to take off, when there's a way to say no, far too often we choose not to. He provides a way of escape from that flesh. We need to be willing to take it. That's how we overcome. That's how he is with us. Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray. This is in the garden. Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what you need to know. Our spirit is willing. We want to serve the Lord. We love the Lord because he loves us. He's put his love in our heart, but our flesh is weak, man. And far too often we give into it. Pray that you would not be led into temptation. And then Ephesians 5.11. This, listen, this is when he says, what shall, if God is for us, this means he is for us. And this is what it looks like when he's for us. He doesn't just come magically and poof, it's gone. He teaches us, he shows us through his words how we stand, how we live, how we operate in this world. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That is so important in this battle. You know that? 
Call it out in your own heart. Call it out among others. Even when you're tempted to participate in that sin or just about to go into that sin. Somehow, somehow when we are silent, when we're passive, we give tacit approval to sin in our heart, in our life, or even in our midst. We need to say, no, this is wrong. What I'm about to do is sin. You call it out. You don't keep quiet. That's gossip. You don't say that. That's not how we talk about others. That's inappropriate. Don't even go there. That's envy. You know, oftentimes we'll just be silent, tacit, quietly, tacit acceptance and that. He says, no, 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 no. You call out that darkness. You call that sin what it is. I know here's where my heart is going, Lord, and I bring it before you. Understand? He's for us. How about against the devil, our adversary? But we have sovereign God on our side. James 4.7 says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There it is. There's the promise. This is how we overcome. This is his strength in us. Do you understand? Are you willing to do this? You say, get behind me, Satan. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that we are not... We are, we are not unaware of his schemes. We know how he operates. We know his schemes. We know how subtle. We know the tricks. We know his crafty ways. We know how he twists the word. That's why we need to discern. And that's why we need to counter with Scripture. Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Understand? That's how we stand up against this. This is what it means to be victorious in Christ. This is how, if he is for us, who could be against us? If you stand in him, these things can't take away our salvation in Christ, our position in Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God, because he keeps us. This is the one who's for us. These cannot prevail against us. And they can't prevail against us. Why? Because he sent his son to win the victory for us. How will we then not share in his spoils? We have the spoils of the Son. This is what it is. We're no longer in this world. He's not going to say, okay, you're just against the world and I'm going to leave you and try to figure this out on your own. No, 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 no. I'm with you. I'm leading. I'm guiding. I'm directing. I'm strengthening you. So he says that. That's number one. Number two, he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring a charge? Look, he says, verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. It's God who justifies us. Again, this is that assurance. It's not, it's because of Christ. Who's going to bring a charge that will disqualify you? That will take away what you have and who you are in Jesus Christ? Who could bring that charge against you? We know Satan's charging, trying to do that in, in the sight of the Lord. No. He can't. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Remember, we talked about that last week. Biblically, those whom he chose before the foundation of the world to set his love upon, who would bring him to himself in time through justification, who keeps them to the end. We talked about that last week. Who's going to bring a charge against you? Huh? Now listen, are we charged with accusations? All the time. All the time. See, he knows. Who could be against us? There's a lot against us, but he's for us. Who brings a charge against you? Everybody, all the time. Same thing, world flesh. Charge, what's a big charge against Christians? What's one of the biggest charges against you that the world brings against you? You are a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we'll just use that as a blanket statement this morning. That's a big charge against us. That's a charge against you. You say that you're a Christian, but then you live in this way. How can I believe you? You're not, you're phony. You have no authority. You have nothing to say to me. You're hateful, hurtful, 
homophobic, transphobic meddlers. That's what you are as Christians. Those are accusations that are brought against us. It's not that there aren't going to be accusations, but there will be. But he's saying, what accusation can stand against this? What accusation can make me not love you anymore? What accusation can disqualify you from the salvation that I've given to you? Who could bring a charge against God's elect? Lots of people bring charges, but those charges don't stand. A couple of things. False charges, you have to know, you need to know about this. False charges will come. That's par for the course. If you're a Christian, you're going to be charged. You're going to, just like we talked about, just like we said right now, if you're a Christian this morning, you could expect, we love, don't we? We love the lost. We want to bring them Christ. They think we hate them because we're telling them, here's what the Bible teaches about who we are, what Jesus has done for us, right? That's the way they see us. It's not true, but that's the charge. No, this, this is, you call yourself a Christian and yet you don't, listen, if they call Jesus the prince of demons, Beelzebub, what do you think they're going to call you? Lovely, wonderful, helpful. If they call Jesus the prince of demons, of course they're going to call you that. Of course they're going to bring a charge against you in that way. First Peter 4, 15 through 17 says this, listen, we're going to suffer as Christians. He said, but don't let any of you suffer as murderer, thief, evildoers, or meddlers. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Or it's a time for judgment to begin, begins with the household of God, and he goes on to speak of, of the gospel in that way. But what he's saying is, listen, if you're charged for being a Christian, for doing right, for doing what is right, that's fine. That's okay. We could live with those charges. But don't you let yourself be charged. Don't let these charges be true. Don't be a meddler. Try not to be a hypocrite. Be honest. Be faithful to the Lord. Okay? And that's what he's saying here. Now, we're going to be charged even when it's not true. But we're also going to be charged, and some of those charges might be valid because as Christians, we can be hypocritical, right? As Christians, we can be envious. As Christians, we can be... You know, we can go off the reservation for a while into the deep weeds. We can go into that far land. We could we could go out for a season like Peter did, right? Like David did. We can go out there, but God brings us back. So even if the charge is valid, if we acted hypocritically, you need to understand that we are not disqualified. That does not disqualify us because in Christ we have been justified. You understand? It said, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? You're justified in him. Our sins are pardoned, past, present, and future. We're accepted as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith. And understand this. When I talk about that charge being valid, because sometimes it is, because we're not, we're still susceptible to sinning in that way. But if you're a true Christian, and here's the, that, that God who's not going to leave us as He stands for us, He will drive you to repentance. Do you understand that? If you're a Christian, he will not let you go forever or way too long. He's going to bring you back. Psalm 32 says this, 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, this is David speaking with the sin of Bathsheba, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat as of in the summertime. Do you understand? He's going to put that pressure. That's the difference that he makes. He puts that pressure on you. If you're a true Christian, you can't live with that sin. You can't bury that sin for long. It's going to come back, and you're going to be driven to the Lord in repentance, just like David was. Remember, who did the Lord send to Nathan after David 
said. He sent Nathan the prophet to him to tell him. Do you understand? He loves us. He's not, our sin will not be left in the dark or overlooked. We confess it. We bring it to him and we're restored in him. That's what repentance is. And he drives us to that. That's the grace of repentance in our life. If you belong to him, he's not going to just, you know, you go on sinning and keeping that way. No, 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 no. He's going to drive you to repentance. Psalm 8, uh, Sword of Catechism, 87, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby the sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and the apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it to God uh, with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. That's a good definition of repentance. That, that we turn to the Lord, we confess our sin, there's sorrow over our sin, we're reconciled to, to him. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to cleanse us of all of our sins and unrighteousness. Charges come. Many are false charges. Accusations may be valid, but they will not stick. They will not disqualify you because you have belonged to him as the elect, as the ones who would be justified from all eternity, and in time you are justified in Christ. That's Paul's, that's the assurance there. Who's going to bring a charge against you? Who could bring a charge that's going to say, okay, you're disqualified from God's love? And then finally, who is there to condemn you? He says this, Who is there condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who who is interceding, for us. Who's going to condemn you? Ultimately, who can condemn? There's only one who condemns, and that's the Lord. Jesus said to the woman in John 8, now I know it's a variant, but after those charges were brought and the the malice of their motives Jesus was getting after, when they put those rocks down and turned away, what did Jesus say? We're the ones who condemn you. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. He holds the power of life in his hands. All authority in heaven and earth have been given unto him. He will judge the world in equity and in righteousness. It was Christ who was condemned by man for us, who died for sins and who rose in victory. And that's what he's saying here. Who's to condemn? Jesus Christ, the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who's at the right hand of God? He's power on high. Who's interceding for his people. All righteousness has been given unto me. All authority has been given unto me. Go make disciples of all nations. Christ was the one condemned. Christ is the one who will judge. The world's, listen, the world's condemnation, when the world tries to condemn you, they do, and they do. They can try to condemn us. It's God's condemnation of us. Understand? When the world is condemning us, shouting us down, Vile, wretched, wicked things against us. You can know, if you're faithful, that that's accommodation from the Lord. He's commend, he commends that. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That's what he's saying there. Who's going to condemn you? Now listen. We may, or most likely will be, judged unjustly as Christians, will be condemned unrighteously. But one day, 
we will all appear before the judgment seat of God and give an account. Know that. And if you do know that, knowing that, we don't have to worry so much as Christians about what man can do to us. Right? We know where we stand with the Lord. We're not condemned in him. The world may try to condemn us, but in the Lord, we're commended. And we have a place with him. So what this should do for you is to understand, what can man do to me? It should free you not to dwell on your circumstances, not to dwell on yourself, not to worry about retribution, not to worry about the unfairness in the world, not to worry about what they can do to us. And on the other hand, it frees you to even love your enemies, right? Because we know where we stand with the Lord. And we also know where they stand with the Lord unless they repent. And we know that they need repentance. So instead of just saying, this is unfair. How could you do this to Christians? I didn't do anything to deserve this. You're doing this. This is religious persecution. This is wrong. And I'm not saying we don't stand and have a voice. But in our heart of hearts, we need to understand that that's what the world is going to do. And we know where we do stand with God, don't we? We don't stand condemned. We stand commended by the Lord. So if the world condemns us, it frees us from worrying too much. When Paul was in prison unjustly in Philippians, in Philippi, what did he do? This isn't right. This isn't fair. Get me out of this place. Oh, I shouldn't even be here. These are false charges. No, he said, I'm in this place. But you know what? God has worked this out for good because I'm preaching the gospel and people are being converted here in this prison. See, now that just seems unfathomable. But that's the Christian mindset. That's exactly, we know where we stand. So it frees us from being so worried about the fairness and, and, and you know, the, the, the justice. I'm not saying that we're not, but, but it frees us from that, you know, oh, it must be fair, it must be right. We know that we're going to be treated this way. And it frees us to even love our enemies and witness to them through our situation in Christ. Wow, look at those Christians. Look how they live. That some may be turned to them. What was Paul and Silas doing in prison before the earthquake came? They were singing and they were praying out loud. And eventually the guard was converted. That we would be a witness to him. Because we know that everyone will bow the knee and give an account to Christ. And he is the one who justly and righteously condemns. Depart from me, I never knew you. If he's for us, who could be against us? This should give us great assurance in our faith. No one could be against us. Nothing, no situation. Who could bring a charge against the elect that's going to disqualify us in any way? Who could say, okay, Christian? No one. Who can condemn us? Well, there's only one is the Lord. He has and he's chosen to save us. But no man can condemn us. If he is for us, he has cleared us, and he will vindicate us. So be faithful. Be strong in the faith. Be, be sure in your salvation and live for Christ.